0: Chapter 17. Anyone need a Bible? If you do, please raise your hand. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for... God, Your Word. And I just pray, it, particularly in thanks, Lord God, just for the the, the messages that we're going to be in regarding the life of Elijah, Lord. What a what a life of faith! What an encouragement! What a what an example, Lord. And Father, I just pray that we don't miss anything that the Holy Spirit is speaking, Lord, through Your Word this evening. And Father, I just um, Just pray, Father, for the new believers class, that you'll speak to them and uh, and their Lord and um, be using that time. And and Father, we just need you. Thank you so much, Lord God, just for the ministry of your word and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last week we uh, began the... uh, Chapter 17, which is okay, interruption here. Okay. George Whitfield spoke to 20,000 people without a sound system. That's amazing. So, so why can't I speak to, what, 30 people, uh, except by having a, a mic on? Uh, anyway, okay. Well, one thing is the uh, people in ministry, we like to give them a CD. Anyway, so we uh, began the just the um the history here the life of Elijah and I got to tell you I just love Elijah I just just can relate so much to this guy and uh he was just such a passionate man he was given to like unbelievable mood swings and uh and uh and you know God just really used him but God had but but he made some big big time mistakes but the Lord had so much mercy on him but uh we we uh, started last week, and by the way, I had so much, so much uh, feedback about uh, the first seven verses of first Kings 17, just about how much it, it really struck people, just how amazing uh, this story really, really is. So God's been preparing this man, Elijah, and uh, Elijah the Tish, Tishbite, and he's been preparing him during a time of just unbelievable darkness. Uh, just uh we went from king to king to king in the, in the in the nation of Israel, each one got worse than the one before, and finally uh who comes on the scene but ahab okay. ahab uh, right uh, one more time ahab uh, and then Ahab marries who jezebel uh, right, and so unbelievably dark time in israel and uh uh, and the reason that was such a major event, uh, Ahab marrying uh, Jezebel, is because up to then they had been uh, sort of watering down their faith uh, in a big, big way. And they hadn't been following the Lord a lot, but they still have been following the Lord. But once Jezebel comes in... The, the nation uh, almost to a man and a woman there are a few exceptions we 'll see a, uh, a couple of them tonight they They just leave the Lord totally there 's a departure from the Lord and they start worshiping baal who was uh, baal worship of baal was actually um, it was worshiping sensuality and sex and that type of thing, but it was also just worship worship of the intellect they uh really it, it's sort of like you see in Boston today. It was sort of a worship of that as well, sort of a combination of the two. And so, but in the midst of this terrible, terrible darkness, uh, just when you think that, you know, God is dead, you know, and people living who were trying to follow the Lord, and there were some, had to be looking around saying, this is the end. It can't get worse than this. They were wrong. God was preparing a light in the midst of the darkness and, that, and the man he was preparing in the midst of the darkness was none other than the man who was going to usher in uh, the me- messianic age, the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means Elijah, amazing guy, the book of Malachi says he is going to precede Jesus uh, prior to his second return. And so it says John the Baptist came in the spirit of the Elijah, but Elijah is going to come back uh, in the flesh he Never died. It says that he and this other man named Enoch uh, never died. Uh, Elijah went up to was carried up to heaven uh, in, uh, in in chariots, and so so the Lord's preparing this guy uh, Elijah, and Ahab's in power, and they've departed uh, from God to worship Baal and. Baal, among uh, other things, too, is, is the god of the of the rain. And so God says, okay, well, we'll see how powerful this god of rain is, and we'll see how uh, how much these people will be able to rely on this god. And so uh, Elijah just goes right into the king's court, verse 1, chapter 17, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at My word! Wow, and then and then it says, uh, uh, and this is where it really gets interesting. And and verse two says, then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, "Get away from here and go eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan." Uh, And and so, uh, right after the Lord had used him in this mighty way, the Lord carries him away, and he goes to this place, the brook Cherith, which means the brook of cutting. And it's a place of complete isolation. And uh, it's a place where he was for three years all by himself, by this small brook. And it says that he was, uh, he was fed morning and night by ravens. Now, ravens were unclean. And, and to, you know, to Jewish people, anything unclean was just repulsive to them. Uh, and, and to be fed by an, an unclean bird... Uh, must have just been a terrible time. And, and so uh, what this speaks to is that um, you know, the Lord, uh, even after he has used you to a measure, as he used uh, Ahab... Uh, He will bring you to these different seasons in your life, to a season in your life, which is where you're living by the brook Cherith. It's a time of cutting. It's a time of affliction, where he is molding you into a man or woman of God. Your flesh hates it. You're being fed by ravens, just as Elijah hated to be uh, fed by ravens. Uh, uh, Your flesh will hate this time of isolation, this time of uh, uh, this lean kind of time. Uh, It says that Elijah was by a brook and the brook was drying up. And, and so you'll look at your life and you're like, wait a second, uh, this brook in my life is, is, there's no, there's no seemingly no fruit here, nothing happening. Uh, I mean, I can't go out and do this and that. And, 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 you know, the Lord just has me in this place. Well, the God does that in order to create men and women of God. And and so what you don't see here is Elijah running away from this time of cutting, this time of uh, this lean time, this time where the brook is drying up. You don't see him doing that. What an example uh, uh, in our lives. And so um, and so in verse eight. It says that, actually in verse 7 it says, And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And then it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Now, Zarephath, means, guess what? Refining. So he's going from the land of being cut up, the brook of cutting, to that place of cutting, to the land of refining. It's like, Lord, what's going on here? I mean, when do I get a break? Uh, you know, and, and, and it would be um, a big time place uh, of refining. This for one, re- for one thing, this was the land of the Gentiles, and and, and again, uh, Gentiles. You read uh, Jewish literature and this type of stuff. You know, Jews they didn't want to have anything to do with Gentiles. If you re- they rubbed up against them, they would go through like ceremonial cleansing. It had to be. It was just like ravens. It had to be a, a, a really grating to uh, the flesh as well. It was the home place of Jezebel. Jezebel. Uh, it, you know the whole center of Baal worship, and, and not only that, he had to be taken care of by a woman who was a widow, a widow woman, and so this to him uh, had to be a, a very humiliating time. And 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 you know many people uh, go through a season in their life where they're again they're this season of isolation, and and they're either sick or afflicted or something. They can't even take care of themselves. They can't even take care of themselves. And, and you know, it, it's during these times where, you know, you're either going to get better, bitter or you're going to get better. You're going to get better by the affliction of the Lord. And, and if you insist on saying, oh, I can't take care of myself, this is really humiliating, and just allow your pride to reign in your life, Uh, your heart will become hardened. Uh, But if you allow uh, the Lord to do uh, his perfect work, uh, you will become uh, just a jewel for the Lord. You know, uh, diamonds are really uh, what a diamond is. It's a relatively worthless piece of coal uh, which is transformed uh, into a diamond uh, with heat and pressure uh, after... Uh, a couple millennium or whatever, Uh, you know, it's, 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 that's the way uh, we turn into diamonds for the Lord, jewels for the Lord, it's that heat, it's that pressure, and so uh, he actually goes from the brook of cutting to the land of refining, so Lord, when are you gonna let up, Uh, but he, you know, this is, this is, uh, what the Lord does with men and women who he's going to use in a, a really powerful way. And so, um, you know, even at that time, you know, it was humili- it's humiliating for many men t- uh, today to be supported by a woman. Uh, it just is <laughs> for many men. Uh, uh, that's, you know, it's just this... Sh- this ego thing that they have, if they get into the season where uh, they have to be supported, they they oftentimes really struggle with that. And can imagine, the, you know, three four thousand years ago, Elijah, uh, and she's a Gentile, uh, and and so and she's a widow. And and you know, if you look back in the Old Testament, what the Bible says about widows uh, in Exodus twenty-two, the real strong word against uh, being a burden on a widow, and. Uh, you know, Elijah's got to be thinking, man, I, am I just going to be a burden on this? But anyway, uh, she was, uh, it's this strange situation where this woman is, um, is poor and destitute. It says here, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So, in verse 10, so he arose and went to Zarephah. And when he came to the gate of the, uh, the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks and he called to her and said, please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. So she was destitute. Now why was she destitute? She was destitute because of the famine. Why was there a famine? Because of this guy who's asking her for help. Uh, and uh, you know, so it's this uh, really uh, interesting situation here. And uh, uh, so she, she did go get him uh, the water. And it, you know, that says really a lot. She, so she gets him the water, and she's getting him the water uh, in the middle of uh, of a famine. And so, you know, there is a principle to learn here, uh, and that is uh, when we're in a season of great difficulty. It's so important to, uh, if we're in a season of great difficulty in our lives, uh, the way we get realigned with the Lord so often is that when we refocus and take our eyes off our own difficulty and we minister to someone who's hurting and, and we give out and, and we get our eyes off our little problem and our self pity and, and we see someone else thirsty, hurting, or, or dry and, and we bless them? And so uh, uh, here then, so she. He gets the she gets the water for him, uh, but then he 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 really crosses the line. Well, bring me a morsel of bread, and she's like, "Now wait a second, uh, and you know what's going what's up with this?" And uh, I don't know if you guys you know this is like so many times when we try to be nice or we give to someone and they're like, uh, or, or uh, you know sometimes I'll, I'll give uh, the I'll, I'll I don't usually give out cash because usually uh, with homeless people because usually they use it to buy drugs. But what I do uh, a lot of times is buy them uh, something at a restaurant. And I've been to restaurants, and I'll, I'll bring them in, and, and they'll say, well, I want that. And, oh, that's great. And, well, I want that, that, and that too, you know. And it's, it's like I not only want the water, I want the, uh, the, the, the bread. And so she's saying, wait a second, uh, I have only meal left for me and my boy, and then I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And uh, then uh, Elijah says uh, a pretty amazing thing here. He says, Do not fear, verse 13. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first. That's an important word, first. And bring it to me, and afterward, make me uh, some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Now, and if you or me were, were in her shoes and he said, well, make me the bread first, I, I think I probably would have said, well, hey, why don't you first fill up the jar with oil and then get a whole bunch of more meal and then I'll do it. Why the other way around? <laughs> you know what I mean, Elisha? Come on now. Uh, but, you know, the Lord doesn't work that way. Uh, sacrifice is is really always out of uh, uh, out of uh, sort of our survival and not out of our surplus and 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 and, you know if so oftentimes well if you bless me then i will give if you will bless us then i will move out in faith Um, but that's not how the lord works when joshua commanded the priests in the jordan he said first step in the water and then i will part the waters the Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, then I will add on to you. And, and, and God is building men and women of faith. And he does not, when we're moving in faith, we, we're not using what's already in our hand. We're using what we don't even have yet. And so that's all she had. She had this little bit left and Elijah said, "Okay, you take that little bit left. You make first a p- uh, a cake for me." And then I'm telling you that oil is never going to that that jar of oil is never going to run uh dry and that um bin of flour is never going to be used up. So she steps out in faith such an important principle brothers and sisters for us to move out in faith and that way we learn to trust in the lord and otherwise we're really not trusting in anything Uh, You know, it's not not trusting in in anything if we're sort of uh, trusting in something that's already in our hand. And so uh, the Lord will uh, do this uh, in your life, whether it's with time, whether it's with money, whether it's with a relationship or love or whatever. Uh, First, step out in faith. So she steps out in faith, and God blesses her. Uh, and and her needs are met you know it's been said that the lord will not be a debtor to any man or woman if you're giving to him if you're giving out of what very little you have to him he's not going to be a debtor to you meaning he will more than make up for what you've given him you know you can't outgive god Uh, And and so that is so true uh, in our lives. So if you're serving or giving or whatever, he's going to more than make it up. And that's the principle here with Elijah and the widow. And so uh, then let's read on here. It says in verse 17, Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, give me your son. So he took uh, him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him uh, uh, on his bed. And so another yet incredibly important principle here, just because the Lord is in your midst Just because the Bible says he'll never leave you or forsake you, but though he may be in your midst dwelling with you, that is not going to spare you from tragedy. That's not going to spare you from some, like, big-time, difficult uh, trials in your life. And so you might have thought that, well, you know, I'm living uh, with a prophet. A prophet's living in my house. I guess just all is going to go well. Well, that's not the case. That's not the case. In fact, uh, where there are, uh, you know, prophets, priests, evangelists, whatever, uh, th- there is always a tragedy in their in their midst as well. They live in a fa- uh, we live in a fallen world, uh, and so uh, she she sort of lashes out at him, and she says, "You know, what have I to do with you, a man of God?" In verse eighteen. Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And so some people think that this child was born out of wedlock or something. But uh, And this is just so often uh, the case when uh, when a person who really doesn't know the Lord, they, you know, the superstition comes in. They think it's because of something in their past. Sometimes uh, it may be because of some uh, sin that they have. Uh, but what what um, where she really gets it wrong here is, is just the grace and mercy of God. God wants to touch her. God wants to have grace with her. And she's thinking, oh, no, it's, I'm being punished. And and so that is the uh, attitude of fallen man. It's just always, you know, something's happening. It's because of a punishment rather than God wants to do a work in my life. If you're born again, if you've asked Jesus Christ into your life, and you're in relationship with him, and all of a sudden you find tragedy in your midst. It's not because you're being... Uh, it's not because God wants to sort of trample you and punish you and just leave you by the wayside. It's because he wants to do a work in your life. Uh, and so, uh, then, so it, it's interesting here that he, uh, he takes him, uh, the dead uh, boy out of her sight, and he goes up, um, upstairs, and uh, a lot different than today where people who do miracles, you know, put ads in the paper and stuff like that, and make a big show of it, and uh, and then, you know, do a special love offering, uh, you know, before it happens to make sure that uh, people pay up big time to see the miracle, but he take he takes the dead child out of sight. And um, he's going to just seek the Lord on his own here. And so in verse 20, I find this reaction really important and interesting here. It says, Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? So this took him by surprise. He was a prophet, but this really took him by surprise. He didn't know this was going to happen, and he's really calling on the Lord here. It says he stretched himself uh, on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the uh, Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him and revived And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives." Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is, is in your mouth and is the truth. Wow. You know, interesting thing about this story. I mean, here's this woman. You know, she's living day to day to day with this unbelievable miracle. You know, she's got this uh, bin of flour that just is always filling up, and uh, she's got this jar of oil that's always filling up, but... Uh, I don't know, maybe she was suspicious, like, well, maybe this guy has, like, some source who's, like, coming in and filling it up at night. She doesn't really, hasn't really concluded that this is really a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in his mouth until he raises the boy from the dead. And so a really important principle here that, that um, you know, people uh, really are not going to believe in the Lord. Their souls will not be converted except by that resurrection power. First, the fact that, you know, Jesus was raised from the dead. But then also that resurrection power of Jesus living in you and you living out that resurrection life in their presence. That's how people come to the Lord. The overwhelming number of people who come to the Lord, come to the Lord because they know someone, something like 95%, you know, they've done studies on this stuff, so they know someone who they see there's a difference. They see They see that resurrection power in their life. Not only did, did, did Jesus raise from the dead, and there's all kinds of evidence of that, but there's evidence right in front of me because this person is living in such a way that sort of proves that Jesus did, Raised from the dead, and so uh, that is what's going to convince people that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. And so uh, here the um, the life of Elijah, and, and uh, you know how how glorious it must have been for this woman to uh, to see her son alive. So he he prayed for the dead, and here you have the physical contact uh, also with the child, which is a little unusual, but, uh, you know, it's true. Although that we probably will never lay our hands on someone who's dead and have them come back to life, we will meet very many people who are spiritually dead. And what two things, we can learn this from the life of Elijah, prayer and that contact. So praying fervently, and that just that that contact with their life, making that contact, that loving contact, that practical kind of love, uh, in uh, in their life. And so, just like uh, this woman who had probably got pretty jaded, frustrated, and sad, you know, with her son, and you know she's she's lashing out at at this man of God. You know, what have I to do with you, oh man of God? People get jaded with uh, with Christianity. But with prayer, with that resurrection love, with, with that resurrection power and that, that love, that practical love, this is how people um, really come to life here. And so uh, anyway, let's go on in verse 18. Chapter 18, not verse 18. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, uh, 50 to a cave, and uh, fed them with bread and water. And so here you have this guy, Obadiah, who reports to, like, one of the most evil people who ever lived. (laughs) You know, uh, it's uh, quite a place for a, uh, a believer in God to be. And, you know, it's not unusual for me to get the question... You know my my boss is a real wicked dude, or she 's a real wicked woman, or this company 's just pretty wicked place. Should I be living there and uh, Well, there are some pretty powerful examples in the Bible where people are working for pretty wicked people, and I think of. I think of Daniel, who was living with, uh, working for Nebuchadnezzar. We're talking, th- that guy was wicked. I mean, he had what some say is a conversion experience sort at the end of his life. But you can only imagine just how barbaric and cruel. And then Paul, I think, was it in the Book of Romans? He greets the people, or it, uh, not, not, not Book of Romans, where was that? But anyway, I, one of his letters, he greets the people of the household of Caesar. I guess it was Caesar at that time. Nero, another, one wicked dude, <laughs> Nero. I mean, he's like a byword for wickedness. And um, there were Christians in his in his household. And so here you have this man, Obadiah. And uh, it's interesting that God just used him, and, and it, it winds up using this guy in a pretty powerful way. It, but it had to be very discouraging for him. He had a very confusing to him, but there, but but God was preparing even him for to you know to do this work uh, in his life and to be really used, uh, really used by the Lord. And it says in verse five, and Ahab said to Obadiah, "Go into the land to all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we can may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so that we will not have to kill any livestock." And so that's so typical, isn't it? You know, we're in our sin. And just terrible things start happening in our lives. God starts chasing us, getting us into financial trouble or whatever. And instead of seeking out what the root of the problem is, we go off and, I don't know, with finances, we get a third or fourth job or, or Whatever. Instead of instead of thinking, oh, this all this calamities happened in my life. Why might this be happening? Or you're maybe it's a sickness, or maybe it's just your relationships that are totally messed up, you know? And you're trying to patch up the relationship rather than just going to the Lord. Hey, Lord, what's going on? And and this is so typical. Here, Ahab is like he's going to search all over the uh, all over the land for some grass. I mean, what? Are, how desperate people get you know, in their sin, and, and how hard their hearts are that they just absolutely refuse. It never ceases to amaze me. In the life of some Christians who are in sort of full rebellion, that their life is completely falling apart, and they just, they're just grasping on, trying so bad to, to patch up uh, this little this source of pleasure in their life, rather than just returning to the Lord. And, and, and so that's what, um, that's what Ahab uh, is doing here. He's searching all over the land. You know things are bad when the king is out looking for grass. You know, that's what's going on here. So o- Obadiah was, um, he, was uh, uh, he was the governor of the house. And so he goes one way. Verse 6, it says So they divide the land between them to explore it. And o- Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now, as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him. And he recognized him and fell on his his face and said, Is that you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your master Elijah is here. (laughs) So he said, how have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there's no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone t- uh, to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could, uh, could not find you. And so he was going to all the surrounding nations saying, hey, where's Elijah? Uh, well, we don't know him. Okay, so I want you to take an oath right now that you're telling the truth. I mean, that's how bad that uh, King Ahab was going after Elijah. Again, rather than going to the Lord, say, "Hey, okay, Lord, there's something going on here. He was trying to, some other ridiculous scheme to go find uh, Elijah. And so it says in verse 11, Now you say, go tell your master Elijah's here, and it shall come to pass as soon as I'm gone from you, that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know, so when I go and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But uh, I, your servant, have feared the Lord uh, from my youth. Was it not reported, my lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid the hundred men of the Lord's prophets fifty to a cave and fed them with bread and water. And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here. He will kill me. And so, uh, you know what he's saying here is that i know what's going to happen elijah you're telling me to go to king ahab and say uh well elijah's here he's going to come to meet you and then all of a sudden you're just going to take off doing something else that the lord wants you to do and uh, then he's going to kill me because i didn't bring uh, him back to you verse 15 then elijah says lord of hosts lives Before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. I don't know why, but I really like verse 16. He's just, he submits to this man of God. He says, so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, and Ahab said to him, Oh, is that you, O troubler of Israel? And this is typical, isn't it? You know, things happen in the world, calamity, whatever, and people start shaking their fists at God. It's all God's fault. You know, they see, you know, uh, suffering and, and stuff like that in the Sudan and children being murdered and killed and famine, and it's all, all of a sudden, it's God's fault. Why would a holy God allow all this suffering? What's about sin? What's about our sin? And, and 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 so uh such a typical reaction uh, Ahab here just sort of a, a type of the world In verse 18 and he answered I have not troubled Israel but you and your fathers house have and that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the baals god had a lot of mercy on the northern 10 tribes of Israel even after they had built those two golden calves jeroboam he built those two golden calves because he didn't want the people to go down jerusalem because he thought if they did they were going to then stay in jerusalem with the the two tribes in the south and you know so he builds these two uh, golden calves and he says well this is the god who took you took you out of the land of egypt but the thing is he didn't really do away with uh a, a lot of the Old Testament or, or a lot of the scriptures, he didn't really do away with the worship of God, hired his own priest, made up his own feast, did a lot of other weird things. But man, when the northern when the northern tribes just completely departed from the Lord altogether, when they apostatize, God got really, really serious. So it brings just unbelievable famine up there. And so it was he and his house, Ahab and his house, that forsook the commandments of the Lord, and they just went after Baal. Just worshiping the flesh, that's all it was. Again, like we were talking about last Sunday, same stuff we see today, it's just been recycled, you know, century after century into different things. Same idols are out there today. Verse 19, now therefore send any, I mean, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And so, I mean, this place had gotten pretty bad, right? The prophets of Baal and Asherah, they sat at the king's table and the queen's table. I mean, uh, they um, they were really, really... Uh, in a low, low place, but uh, but Ahab just shaking his fist at God. Now I heard about that there's there was some there's a book out a while back called Seth Speaks. Anyone ever hear of that? Seth Speaks. It was really popular on college campuses for a while. It's a while back though. Ten or fifteen years. And it's about this guy named Seth who <laughs> Um what's that? Is it I missed that. But um a while back, ten or fifteen years. Well, you know, things uh things blow through college campuses like you know, like a whim. But um Seth is a demon. And there's this guy in the book who writes down this demon's words and and uh one of the things that this demon told this guy to write down this demon called Seth is that in the future we will just go into this beautiful dynamic age, the age of Aquarius. But before that can happen, you know, all those who uh who hinder the outbreak of freedom and oneness and love, they gotta be removed from the scene. He was just he was just this is Satan, really he knows what's gonna happen. There's gonna be a rapture. <laughs> but he's like twisting the whole thing. And and he's just he's in, you know the insinuation there it's 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 the Christians' fault. It's these people who don't like believe in the free love thing. These people who don't tolerate. So we just get them out of the way. We're going to usher in the age of the queers. Wow, are the, it, 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 are they going to be surprised when they're in the tribulation? I got to tell you. So this man Ahab, blaming. Uh, all the nation's troubles uh, on the Lord and his people. But um, here you have Elijah, and he's um, he's giving them a challenge. He says, okay, here's what I want you to do. You go to Mount Carmel, and you bring all those prophets of Baal, the 450 prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of Ashla, and-, and we'll see who's God. then you have this wonderful, wonderful story. It starts in verse 20. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. So this is a gigantic gathering. Mount Carmel, it's near the Mediterranean Sea. It says, And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. And so that word falter there, how long will you falter? That's actually a Hebrew word that means sort of to rock like this. Rock. And um, what's the English word for that? I guess rock. Uh, But anyway, um, so it could have been that. So they were just, uh, you know, rocking from, from one Uh, life uh, to another, you know. uh, They were obviously being very much pressured by the leaders of their country to go in one way. And, you know, James says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You want to be unstable? Anyone interested in being unstable? You serve God today, Sunday, but then just go out tomorrow and just serve whatever... Idol is out there in the world that the world is worshiping. That's that is a formula for instability. Jesus says, "I would rather have you be cold, but being lukewarm, I would spit you out of my mouth." And and, and so, um, uh, you know, that's what the uh, the nation um, of Israel uh, is doing. Aesop's Fables. Now, some you guys have heard of Aesop's Fables, okay? Uh, Aesop's Fables, very good. Well, there's this, there's this um, one of these Aesop's Fables. There's a, there's a a war between the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Okay, there's a war that goes on, and you know, one day the birds would be winning this war. You know, pecking away. Ever see that movie, The Gulls? Sorry for all the questions tonight. The gulls. I mean, crazy movie, you know, you know, oh, no, it's the birds. Ramirez, Rodriguez, birds, gulls. Oh, my goodness. Sorry, everyone. The birds, you know, this guy's in this house and the birds are like thousands of birds are like trying to get in. Some are breaking in the window and pecking away at his arm. You know, this crazy movie from the 60s and, um, but anyway, it's the birds and the beasts and, and, uh. And there, but the thing is that the bat. There's a bat, right? That didn't, you know, wasn't sure which side to join. So when the birds were winning the battle, he'd, he'd fly like a, a bird. But when the beasts were winning, he'd go to the other side and and walk like a like a beast. But. Um, so what happened was eventually the the birds and the beasts got so frustrated with this double-minded bat that they got a hold of him and ripped its eyes out. And so that's why the bat only comes out at night because you know he doesn't want to be you know everyone else is asleep. And so that's Aesop's fable. You see, guys, know see what you learn when you come to church. I mean, but anyway, it's it's a it's a it's a it is a great illustration. You know, of choose you this day whom you serve. We've got to do it. And it came to a point in my life, I just had to choose who I was going to serve. Is it the Lord or is it Baal? And, and you know, the Bible says again, Book of James, a man who is double-minded is unstable in all his ways. You know, too much of the word. You, if you're living in both pl- uh, With a foot on both sides of the fence, you you know, you'll have too much of the world to enjoy the Lord, but you'll have too much of the Lord to enjoy the world. So you're just miserable. (laughs) You know, and and so I, I love this story because... Uh, you know, you have this man of God. He's just, just been living in isolation, just with the Lord, being fed by ravens. He goes from the brook of cutting to the land of refining. He, he's just a tremendous man of God. And it's just, there's something just so great about truth and confronting evil with truth and c- confronting people who are living evil with truth. How long will you falter? Between two opinions, if the Lord God is God, follow him. And if Baal, follow him. But the people not answered not a word. Then Elisha said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. He was wrong about that. We'll learn more about that later. But Baal's prophets are 450. So one against 450. He was right about one thing. There was He was alone in that place. It was just him. And their Baal had 450 prophets and then another 400 with Asherah. But therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves. Cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves, and prepare it first for you are many, and call on the name of of your God, but put no fire under it. So uh, So they took the bull which was given to them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon. And so you have this situation. Now it's interesting here that... Elijah we know he's going to be praying he's going to be praying to the Lord for fire to come out from heaven and he calls and he gets this bull now for those of you who have been with with us for a number of years when we were in Leviticus remember that in Leviticus 16 before priests could enter into the holy place and sort of you know offer sacrifices to the Lord he had to offer the bull and so it's so important when it comes to prayer. You know, Elijah knew he couldn't call down fire from heaven based upon anything he had ever done, based upon any righteousness in his life. He knew he was a man born in sin. And so, you know, this real principle thing, this, this, this important principle here, the book of James says that Elijah was just like us, a man with, with you know, similar kind of passions, meaning sin. But he called upon the the Lord, and it didn't rain for three years. And he called upon the Lord, and it and it rained. And so, uh, even Elijah knew that he could never go to the Lord based upon being like this unbelievable prophet. He had to. Um, he, he he could only go on the basis of that sacrifice, which of course is a foreshadowing of. Uh, which is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. And so it says uh, in verse 26, So they called on the name of Baal from morning uh, even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. So lots of commotion, lots of physical activity. You know, physical activity and commotion and 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 and, you know, emotional hysteria and stuff like that—that is not always indicative of faith. A lot of times, it's indicative that there is no faith. You know, there's something about a real faith of a man or woman of God that's just very quiet. They know who the Lord is. They know who they are in Christ. And it's just, there's a quiet faith. But here, you know, I, I believe there was just so much yelling and screaming, they knew. <laughs> they knew they weren't going to get uh, get an answer. You know, so we don't have to cry out, In the name of Jesus! We don't have to do that. You know, that that's silliness. That's nonsense. You know, we can have... <laughs> Sorry to blow your ears out, but... but um, didn't you see that thing in the bulletin about bringing your earplugs tonight? Come on. Um, but, uh, you know, we can have that quiet confidence in the Lord. We don't have to try to manipulate the Lord. God doesn't want to be manipulated. And, and so you you, hear, you see here they're leaping about. They're, they're crying out, uh, hear us. In verse 27 it says, and, and so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is meditating or he is busy or he is out on a journey. Or perhaps he is uh, sleeping and must be awakened. Verse 28, so they cried aloud and cut themselves as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out of them. I wonder what Ahab was thinking. As he's looking at this, I'm sure you know he's he, he's thinking to himself, "I know where this is headed." And when midday was past, they prophesied unto the time of the offering of of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. You know it re- reminds me a little. Many of you have probably heard this story, but like 20 years ago in San Francisco, uh, in the park by the Golden Gate Bridge, all of a sudden one morning, they went, in the middle of the park, there's this giant cement cylinder. Who's heard of this story? There's this giant cement cylinder. No one's heard of this story. Okay. I've got to stop asking questions here. But There's this giant c- cement cylinder, and, and, and people are like, whoa, where'd this come from? this is like, must be a god or something. And literally, their people started worshiping this thing. People started dancing around it. People were coming from India and Japan. And that's just how crazy, that's how crazy, and that's how much Satan gets so involved, you know, in this area. And and they were just crying out to a cement block. And, And, you know, it's so scary what does happen there. says in verse 29 no voice no one answered no one paid attention then elijah said to all the people come near to me so all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the lord that was broken down what how sad is that the altar had been broken down the only one true living god and it's just you know it's 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 rubble has been broken down and he repaired it how humbling that must have been. Verse 31, Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then the stones he built, uh, with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he, he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seals of seed. And he put the wood in order, order, cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood and said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifices and on the wood. And then he said, do it a second time, and, and they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time, and they did a third time. So the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. So this was not going to be a situation where, you know, there's been famine for three years. And it's, you know, this is not going to be a situation where people are going to say, well, you know, fire came from heaven. But, you know, it was just so hot out. The thing just caught on fire. He filled it, you know, he took water three times, poured it all over. Anyone have any guesses where he got the water? No one had any water. Mark Carmel is right by the Mediterranean. This was salt water. This was salt water that they were pouring on. Very interesting. uh, Also, uh, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 2, no sacrifice is to be made without salt. Uh, and uh, that was in the Mosaic Law. And the salt was essential for life. In some places, it was more valuable with gold. It was a preservative. It was a medicine. It was flavor to the diet. You know, we're called the Salt of the World. Uh, if the salt has lost its favor, what good is there to be, uh, th- uh, but to be thrown out and trampled? And so, uh, actually, there is uh, winds up being uh, salt uh, on this uh, on the sacrifice. And so. <laughs> Uh, that's uh that's interesting there and so it says in verse 36 and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that elijah the prophet came near and said lord god of abraham isaac and israel let it be known this day that you are god in israel and i am your servant and that i have done all these things at your word hear me O lord Hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. It always sort of brings tingling to my spine when I read that verse. I just love that. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God, the Lord. He is God. And notice how they say the Lord, He is God. Unfortunately, they didn't say, they'd come to the place, they, they weren't saying the Lord is our God. They're saying He is God. They've really drifted away up there in the northern tribes. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon, and he executed them there. So, it's a pretty amazing thing. He executed 450 men. Elijah did. Wow. So, verse 41. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat, and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. Of course, there was, we'll read on, there was no sound of rain yet, there wasn't even a cloud in the sky. So here again, Elijah living by faith. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now, look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the handle of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So, I don't want you or me or anyone to, in here tonight to miss this one. And notice how Elijah's prayer before the Lord, his prayer in public, was short. And Jesus has something to say about that, right? He, he, he says, you know, don't babble on and on and on like the pagans do. You don't have to do that. don't have to make a show of your prayer life. So his prayer in public was very short, but notice how when he gets in private, a very different thing begins to happen here. It It says he prayed and nothing happened. And then he prayed again and nothing happened. And he prayed again and nothing happened, and again and nothing happened, and again and again. It says in verse uh, 42 that he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. And that's basically that's the position that, that you know, women at that time used to give birth like that. That was you know, the position they went into. Bowing down to the ground and, and putting their face between their their knees, and so you know here he is you know in public he prayed there 's a quick prayer in private there 's just this unbelievable intensity, and there 's this just there 's this perseverance he 's just not giving up he 's praying and he 's praying and and he doesn 't see. Uh, the answer to his prayer. And so he goes back and he presses and he, he prays through. And finally, you know, there was a cloud in the sky and the rain came and how important it is for us sometimes to, to persevere in prayer. You know, that is how God is fostering a relationship with us. If the Lord just immediately answered. Every single thing we asked for, we wouldn't know him. We wouldn't know who he was. And I know and just in my life, it's been those times of just just going on and on and crying. It's like, why, Lord? And, and then it's those times when your heart really opens up that the Lord really makes himself known to us. And sometimes that's the only way that the Lord can get us to spend time with him. So I'm not going to answer the prayer right now. they'll forget about me. And here he goes into this like birthing position. Sometimes we just need to just, I don't know, go into a birthing position, whatever. And, 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 and just, just, okay, Lord, what's going on here? You know, there are times we we need to pray with just such intensity. And I was just really encouraged as, you know, as a church. Praying for rich. I mean, you talk about calamity and a life hanging in the balance. That was the life that I witnessed before he left Boston and went down to New Jersey. It was just so awesome just to see the faithfulness of the Lord. And... Just that intense prayer, and it's like, Lord, please, we're going to grab on to you, Lord, until you bless us. You know, and so I don't know, you know, where all of you are this evening, but I'm sure that there are some of you in some real intense famine in your life or trial or, or whatever, affliction. God has deliberately brought you to this place, has allowed it in your life. And so when you pray for, you know, relief or whatever, and it doesn't go away, just remember the life of Elijah. And actually, you know, this prayer here was, it was the end of three years of seeking the Lord, receiving from the Lord and seeking. And and sometimes you know, the best thing that we can do is just wait upon the Lord. And crying out, but waiting. And so next week we'll continue on with this wonderful example of a man of God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you that you're so faithful, Lord. We see your faithfulness, Lord, in the life of Israel here, Lord, where they had just forsaken you, and it's just so cool, Lord, here to read um, about what Elijah says to them that, Lord, here in verse 37, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that the people may know that you're the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again, Lord. We don't understand your mercy, Lord. Why you would do that to a bunch of people who left to worship Baal? That you would give them another chance like that, Lord. And yet, how many times in our life have we gone to worship Baal, Lord? The idol of sensuality, the idol of the intellect, the idol of our flesh. You've come right back and you've brought, you've shown yourself strong, Lord. We praise you for that, Lord. God, you're so alive, you're so living. And God, I just. You know, we just all agree, Lord, that anything that we seek after in the Lord it's like verse twenty six says, There's no voice there. There's no one's going to answer there. There's no there's no refreshing there. You're the only living God, Lord. We we praise you for that. We love you, Lord. God, make us into men and women of prayer. Do that work in our life, we ask, Lord. We pray for mercy on this city. God, this city that is truly worshiping at that altar of Baal, that altar of the intellect, of sensuality, of money, whatever, Lord. And God, we just pray for a a Mount Carmel here in Boston. And the Lord, the people would cry out, yes, the Lord is God. The problem is not God, the problem is us, Lord. Just pray for that, Lord, that work in the lives of the people of the city. Just pray for the churches in the city, Lord, Men and women of God, we're teaching the word. I just pray for them, Lord, and strengthen their families, strengthen them. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for just being so good to us, Lord. We ask for grace to walk in that goodness this week. In Jesus' name. Amen.